This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca. Wednesday means Leah Hextall, and there's plenty to discuss. How are you? I'm good, Don, except, all right, I lost. What kind of bottle of wine do you need me to send over the border? And don't forget that it's much more expensive to buy booze up here than it is in the States, because I lost. Uh, well, I, I think <laughs> I think the gesture is enough. You don't have to send me any wine. That's okay. I'll get you one day. But, yeah, you were right. Kreider ended up staying. Yeah, and you know what? I just I didn't have any inside information on it. It was just that if they were talking, then why not just continue to talk? I mean... First of all, we've discussed the idea of, well, just let him walk as a free agent. You'll just re-sign him. But Mm -hmm. I think you see with the money that gets thrown out there by teams that have cap space that with the the budget that the Rangers were working on and and thus the conversations lasting so long for a contract extension that the Rangers probably would have been priced out once he had July 1st. So if you're close, one of the benefits of not trading him was having the exclusivity of talking to him up until July 1st. So I felt good that as long as they were talking that he would stay, but then they got the bonus of not only getting him to stay, but also inking him to a contract, and I thought it was a pretty good one. It is a good contract, and it also sends a clear message to the organization, also to the fans, that you know you have to have good players to win. And Chris Kreider is a great player within the National Hockey League. He's an upper echelon player. You can't just keep letting these players go just because of finances or because of money. You have to end up keeping your talent or else you're never going to win. And you look right now with the Rangers and what is going on. And right now, boom, they're right in the playoff chase. And this is a team that just a couple years ago was saying to their fans, we're in a complete rebuild. Well, look at the picture now. Yeah, they're playing amazing hockey. They win yeah. last night in overtime. They did blow a two-goal lead, but credit the Islanders uh, for hanging in there. Pajot contributes after the deal. And, boy, the atmosphere at the Coliseum was great uh, to be back there to call that game. Last game between these two teams in the regular season. Boy, how great would it be for these two to battle in the postseason? I'm, I'm sure it's the same out west for Calgary and Edmonton. It's been a long time since they've played a meaningful series, I mean, decades now since the last time they played in the postseason. It's kind of that same feel, right? Getting to that old barn, two teams just going at it. I mean, the atmosphere was just tremendous. That was a lot of fun. I I just can't even imagine. I was thinking about you last night. I thought, what a great game to call. Um, And, you know, I loved seeing it just as a hockey fan. You know, these aren't two teams that perhaps I get to see all the time. Perhaps I don't have a vested interest in them. But any hockey fan would want to watch that series. And to your point, any hockey fan would want to watch the Battle of Alberta, that geographical rival. Mm -hmm. It's so good for the game to have these series. And I know that you can't always control how things work out. But, you know, it would be pure magic and really good just overall for the sport to have those teams face off into what you said, a meaningful playoff series. Because that, that is what makes, you know, long-term fans. And that's what makes hockey great is those rivalries. And I don't think we have enough of those rivalries anymore in hockey because I think everybody's too friggin' chummy with each other. <laughs> they are. I mean, that's what happens <laughs> with uh, with free agency and, and also yeah. with the union. I mean, think of the battles that the union has had with ownership over the last two decades. And they are kind of in lockstep together. They're teammates in that way. 
So I'm sure a lot of them get along from that standpoint and with the free agency and trades and all that. You don't have that bite, that edge, but certainly the fans felt it. There were a couple of things in that game, Leah, and one we didn't discuss off the air, one we did. I kind of want to start with the one we did not discuss. I'm not sure if you saw the highlight of the Lee goaltender interference. Um, There was barely contact, but there was contact. And just to give you a quick overview of how I feel about goaltender interference, I don't know if the official and the league have an appetite to overturn what's called on the ice. And to me, that was one of those classic, if they allowed the goal, then it would have stood. They disallowed the goal, so it was disallowed. And I just wish they'd be a little bit more liberal in changing the call on the ice because the contact was minimal. I don't think it had anything to do with the goal going in. I just think they like to stick with the call on the ice. I think the league, and I can understand it, Don, I would want to stay with the call on the ice because it's respect for the officials that are working that game. They are there firsthand. They are in the action. But the fact of the matter, as we all know, with how technology is now, when you can see the camera angles back and you're not on just ice level with it and you can see above shots, it's much easier to make a call. And a lot of times, you know, back in Toronto, where the league is, they have that opportunity to overturn that call and they have the better information. But I would agree with you that I think they really, really do the best they can to stick, not necessarily maybe with the right call, but to stick with their officials on the ice when they can. The problem I have with goaltender interference is no one really even knows what goaltender interference is, including the goalies and the players. Uh, We see so much discrepancy in this call. It's never, you know, it's it's a problem, and and that comes from the human, you know, instinct of it. But it depends on who's looking at it, because you can have two, you can have a player and another player look at the same thing, and both of them like, no, that's goal interference, no, it's not. See, that's why it shouldn't be reviewable, because everything you just explained is why judgment calls can't be reviewed. It's the same problem the NFL has with now allowing there to be replay on pass interference. It is a judgment call. It is in the eye of the beholder. So to bring in a third party, they're just going to have a different uh, opinion. That's why it's not did it cross the line. Is the skate offside? You know, it's... Was it a hand pass? It's really not. It's not black and white. It's a judgment call. Thus, shouldn't be reviewable. I agree with you, and you know that's actually something that when they have their you know general manager meetings and board of governor meetings, they're starting to talk more and more about, and, and especially when it comes to the offside, about how much they review these plays. It also slows down the game, which I'm not a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think there's something about the beauty of the game being the game on the ice, and those who are involved in the game deciding that game. Um, I know that officiating isn't perfect, but it's never going to be, and it never has been. And this league is over a hundred years of age. And there hasn't been a lot of moments besides a few key goals that have been places where we still look back and go, oh, that probably shouldn't have been a goal. But the fact of the matter is, is I agree with you. I I don't think goaltender interference should be reviewable. I think the call on the ice should stand because at the end of the day, to your beginning point, I think the league wants to go with their refs. I think they want to make sure that they're giving the credibility to the stripes that are on the ice calling that game. Now, it didn't matter as far as the outcome of the game is concerned. Because Trotz uh, reviewed it, 
Um, they held the review, so that meant that it's a delay game penalty on the Islanders. Eberly was in the box. Eberly comes out of the box. Uh, what ended up being a power play opportunity for the Islanders, and Eberly scored. So him coming out of the box, out of sight, out of mind, I think actually led to the goal <laughs> to make it 3-2. So I guess no harm, no foul there. And then the Islanders did earn a point. The other controversial play was the Truba hit on Del Cole. Uh, the league is not going to uh, have any discipline for Truba. Uh, like I said, I called the game. I have my opinion. I talked to a bunch of people at the Coliseum, and I will tell you, every Ranger fan felt that it was a clean hit. I talked to Islanders who all felt that it was a dirty hit and Truba should be suspended. <laughs> You're neutral, okay? You saw the play. You have information. What do you got? It's an illegal check all day long. There's nothing wrong with that play. That's what hockey is about. It's called sport, and this is why. An illegal check to the head the head has to be the main point of contact. And a hit to the head doesn't automatically warrant a penalty or supplemental discipline. There are exemptions for head contact, and that's what people have to remember about the rules. The first exemption is that the hit, the player who's making the hit, do they go directly through the body on the player, which leads to the contact of the head? The second is, does the player that being hit, does their posture lend to the head contact? And when you look at the Truba hit, he went through the body, no extension upward, and he stayed low. He did not leave his feet in any way. His entire body stayed low. Where Del Cole, his posture, he's bent over. His head is down. And let's understand, the puck is on his stick, which means he is in play to be hit. And as a player, you're putting your head down. And you've got the puck on your stick. You have to be aware and take ownership that you are open game. He was not vulnerable. He was a player ready to be hit, and he had his head down. And you have to be aware. That hit is a clean hit. And I would stick by that all day long, and it's not going to get reviewed by the league, and nor should it be. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't penalized, and nor should it be. I mean, I have to say, I really did like Pajot's response. He can't teach that. He gets traded, and the next day he's in, and he's ready to go for his Mm -hmm. boys. I respect that. But at the same time, I don't know if I like it. Because at the end of the day, I get that that was a hit that maybe to you looked like, wow, you know, he just got smoked. But that was a clean hit. And we still have to understand that this is sport. And there still should be room for contact in the game, especially when it's clean. So that's my little opinion on it. And the thing is, it's jarring because, you know, I'm at pretty much every Ranger game and literally we'll be midway through the second period and one team will have four hits, the other three. I mean, the physicality is gone from the game. So when you see a hit like that, it's jarring because we grew up seeing about 15 of those hits in a game and now we'll see one every couple of weeks. So it's a different game now. So it's jarring. But you're so right. People misunderstand that they think because the head may have been contacted that it's an automatic suspension. No, clearly Truba was not targeting the head while following through in his shoulder into the chest was eventually the head contacted. Yes, I think it was grazed, but a lot of it had to do with the posturing of Del Cole and it wasn't targeted. So I think it was, it was, it was good. I think everything was handled properly. No penalty, no suspension. Exactly. And then Pajot did everything he did in his right to defend his player because in, in in the heat of the moment you see your player down your teammate down you don't know what happened so he went after Truby. he's trying to stake some claim in his first game as an islander and i thought he handled it properly i thought truba handled it properly i thought the league did so as much as i will argue about the the goaltender interference and the goal that's waved off i think they got that one completely right 
The only thing that I would say, Don, is, you know, I was I was watching it back and I had the Islander commentators, uh, you know, commentating on the hit. That's the view I saw. And I respect them greatly. But, you know, they both were stating that he's that, you know, Nicole was vulnerable. And I think that's the wrong narrative to be putting out there to the fans. I think we have a responsibility as broadcasters not to say that that player is vulnerable. He's not vulnerable. He's got the puck on his well, yeah, stick. Well, see that, he's that's, playing that's... hockey. He's playing in the National exactly. Hockey League. He's not vulnerable. And when right. you state that to the fans, we are playing into the narrative. And that's not right. You know, he wasn't vulnerable. That's a hockey play all day well, long. If you make yourself speaking properly. If you make yourself defenseless when you have the puck, that's on you. The, the idea is to not hit a defenseless player. Hockey. They're teaching you that in Timbit Hockey. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're doing down in the States, but here in Canada, <laughs> they're teaching you that 101. Yeah, I know, that's, and then you're talking about Brendan Burke and, um, and Butch Goring, and Butch Goring should know better. I mean, Butch Goring's been, you know, a part of Stanley Cup championships where that, those hits happen all the time. But And Butch that's said what, that he goes, in my day, that was a clean hit. You know what, Butch? It's still a clean still, hit. It's still a clean hit. I do think, <laughs> yeah, I do think there's some confusion. It happens in football all the time, too. Defenseless player. I mean, but when a wide receiver catches a ball and he's falling out of bounds and gets folded in half, that's a defenseless player. When a, when a football player, you know, catches the football and is making a move, you know, in the middle of the field and gets tackled, well, then he's not defenseless. He's, he's, he's got the ball and he's, he's supposed to be tackled. And when you have the puck, even though there isn't much hitting anymore, you're supposed to be hit. You're supposed to defend yourself to try to not get separated from the puck. And Truba's job there was to take the puck from him legally. And he did. So, um, but Truba doesn't make that hit. And what if Dal Cole skates down the ice and scores? Right. What what happens then? Like this is a contact sport. No matter what we think, I know hitting down. This is a contact sport, and we all have to remember that. Do you believe, getting back to the trading deadline, Leah, that the San Jose Sharks and Doug Wilson did Joe Thornton wrong? You know, this is a hard one because. First and foremost, Joe Thornton is maybe perhaps one of my favorite players. He's, he's definitely probably my favorite player in the game right now, one of my favorite players of all time, not only as a player but on a personal level. He's such a pro. Um, I I would have liked to have seen him go to a contender. I think the fact that he outwardly said it means that he had the conversation stating that he would be willing to. My question is, though, is that what was the market for him? You know, this is a player that, yes, you know, one of the best passers of all time, great leader in the room, but we all know the injuries he's had. And perhaps Doug Wilson wasn't able to get something for him. And at the end of the day, I know that he's given a lot, but there's been times when he hasn't wanted to be traded that maybe they could have traded him and they've kept him Mm. at the cost of the team. So you have to look at it both ways because, you know, Don, I don't know how many times I have to say this to people. This is a business this is a business. When Mark Bergevin comes out and acts like a saint because he's like, oh, we had better offers for Ilya Kovalchuk, but I wanted him to go to Washington to play with his best buddy, Ovi. Like, come on, give me a break. Give me a break. Don't come out and say that crap. I mean, you're not a hero. You probably didn't really have better offers besides right. the fact of maybe like it was a little bit higher of a pick, but nothing you know, that would constitute you not making that move. And if you are doing that, then I don't want you as my general manager. I'm firing you today. Sure. Because at the end of the day, it is your job as a GM to set this team up to be successful because it's a business. And it doesn't matter how much you like a player. 
you know, we saw Pierre Dorian get teary-eyed when he talked about having to call JP, uh, you know, to call Jean-Gabriel Pajot because he's like, I've seen this kid since he played junior. This is part of our franchise, but this is yeah. the best thing for us. And it was. So to me, I don't think that you can come out and say that Joe Thornton was done wrong because I think if the deal was there to make it and they both agreed and it was the right thing for the business, that Doug Wilson would have done it. Obviously, that's not the case. So Joe Thornton remains a San Jose Shark. Now, could the media get it wrong? Absolutely. But you heard rumors throughout the day that there's possibly a deal with Boston, possibly a deal with Dallas. So when you hear that there are reports that there are conversations, if if Dallas showed some interest, I would then have to assume that they made some sort of an offer. And now if that... Sorry. If that didn't happen, then then I, I I agree with you. I mean, you can't you can't just yeah. give a player to another team and get nothing in return. But if Dallas and Boston engaged in conversation and they offered you something, then I think Wilson would be under an obligation to take whatever he was offered so that Joe can go. So the question Wait, what's is, what's his obligation you, too, though, Don? Because here's the other thing: it's not just about what this team is. You have a team that traded away Patrick Marlowe. You don't have Pavelski mm-hmm. there anymore. Eric Carlson shelled for the season. You still have to sell tickets for next year. Like it's not just about on the ice when it comes to the business of hockey. He also has to answer to owners who need people in the stands. And if you get rid of everybody, including a name like Joe, or sorry, pardon me, Joe Thornton, you know that can cause your ticket sales to go down. So there's more to this than just you know, the it's such a hard job, right? Like, it's such a hard thing to do to make a trade and handle the business and the ownership. And so I just think even if there was an offer from the Bruins or from the Stars, I mean, you still have the obligation to your ownership as well to put fans in the stand. And if there's nobody on that roster anymore that they want to come see, then why are they buying tickets? That's true. I understand that. And Joe Thornton is a legendary player. And, and even though they're out of it, there is a possibility that, you know, people still want to go and see him, um, probably to say goodbye because he's not going to be back there next year. So I guess that's the frustrating part is is that I understand if he's got a lot of years left on his contract. I'm just confirming. I believe he's a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, he signed a one year. If I'm right, not yeah, because yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, he signed a one year deal. So the likelihood of him returning, then you could, I mean, you could have traded him, and then I'll I'll, I'll sign him again to a one year contract next year. So there was nothing beyond the 20-some-odd games they have left this year, and I don't know how many of them are actually at home. So, I mean, that's a good point. But at the same time, he asks to be dealt. He's a legendary player. If you're going to get a you know a fifth, a sixth-round pick, something back, I probably would lean on the side of, you've been, you've been great to us, you've been the face of our franchise, you want to go, I'm going to oblige you and go. And um, I, I haven't heard any comments that he's complained or moaned and groaned about. I'm sure he's disappointed. He's never won a Stanley Cup. If he goes to Dallas, certainly goes to Boston. What a great story that would be, returning to the team that drafted him with a chance to walk off like Ray Bork and win a cup uh, and, and retire you know, at 40-plus years of age. It just was a shame. You know, I guess when something happens that disappoints you, you want to put somebody's head on a platter and fault somebody, but maybe it just ends up being one of those things. But, boy, was I disappointed that I'm not going to see Joe Thornton in the postseason. Yeah, you know what, and I agree. Like, I, I would have loved to see the guy get dealt to a contender the way that Marlowe's going to Pittsburgh, and, and that's great for both of them. Um, but unfortunately for Joe Thornton, it didn't work out. Um, I just think in this day and age, you know, you're a player that makes millions of dollars every single year because of the franchise that you're playing for, and he's made a lot of money and had a lot of success in San Jose. So, 
you know, there's two sides to this story. Anything from the deadline jump out at you? Any team that you look at differently post-deadline? Well, I think the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, I was kind of shocked at how many moves they made. But, you know, they had injuries on their defense to Dougie Hamilton. And then we saw that Pesci's also going to be out. So they added, you know, obviously Brady Shea, and he's got some turn left. And then they brought in Sammy Vatten to help that cause. And, and uh, you know, then up front, getting Trocek, you know, uh, that was, you know, he automatically becomes their second line center. So they got better that day. But, you know, when I look at the trade deadline, the, the winner, I think, of the deadline is the Ottawa Senators. And then people might think, are you crazy? They sold the farm. They did, but for 14 draft picks and three yeah. of those in the first round alone. And the noise you can make with those, whether it's through the draft or making trades at the draft where people love to deal, and it's a great time to deal because the playoff picture has played out. Um, you know, I think that Dorian did a really good job of getting assets. And, um, you know, they are in a rebuild, and I, I, I truly believe that they're the winner of trade deadline. You want to do some tweets here? Let's do it. All right. A lot of people are giving me wine recommendations. <laughs> um, Jim White says a ghost uh, block Cabernet is what he recommends. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> I feel bad. We'll wait and see. Why it's do like you feel a, bad? Well, because, because you said that the, the price We're of right. alcohol, you're going to have to ship it you know, <laughs> far away. Oh, don't worry. I'll be in New York sooner than later. I'll be in New York in April, so I'll bring it by. Oh, really? Drop it off at the station. Yeah, yeah. Is, all right. So. You know what? Then and that and that's that. That'll be in cool. In that case, it's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah so what, what what's bringing to you to you, uh, New York in April? Um. Well, I'm. Uh, I can't say. <laughs> okay. You know what? That's a bad job out of me. I'm do- no, no. I'm doing a little bit of work with ESPN and your network. So uh, at the end of the month. It's well, so, then you uh, have to come to the studio. Yeah. I- I'm sorry. Yeah, I definitely will drop You should have cleared this oh, no, off the air. Really I thought fun. you were going on vacation okay. or something. Never no, saw the Empire State no, Building. But it's all good. I'll do a little bit of that, too. I'll do a little bit of that, too, while I'm there. Uh, all right, let's start with Irene. Uh, hi, Don and Leah. Tampa essentially gave away a first for Barkley Goudreau and a third. Do you think that that's worth it? Looking at some other players that were traded for firsts, it seems like a steep price for a career bottom six forward. You know, I understand that. I, You know, I understand people would look at that. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Tampa's all in. You know, this is it. This is this is the time, and so you you just do what you do to get it done because the window in pro sports to win is so small, and they need to get this done. So it's like you know what we're going to do what we need to do to make sure that we have all the depth in the world to get uh, the job done mm. at the end of the season. And I would say this about Gaudreau: don't just look at his numbers. I mean, he had some big moments in the playoffs last year for San Jose. Absolutely. And yep. I think I think on a good team like Tampa, that's one of those guys. He will score you an overtime goal. He'll score or a game tire late. I mean, that's that's a nice player for Tampa to have that that's trying to gear up for a cup run. He will contribute. If that Tampa team wins, mark my words, he will have big moments in that run. And that's what people have to understand is that when you get to, you know, the playoffs and specifically the cup, I mean, your top six are so zoned in on that it's your bottom six that win you the championship because they're the guys who, to your point, Don, are going to pot that goal when it counts the most. And we see that happen all the time, especially in Stanley Cup, because the matchups are so strong. Um, so you really need that bottom six to be doing their jobs and to have that depth there. Uh, Forever TH says, Leafs won last night on my birthday, which was great. So happy birthday, Forever TH. Lost Muzzin for four weeks and third period issues on offense. What can they do to fix their late game ways? 
You know, I think this team just is not just even about the late game. I think it's about this team not understanding how to be complete pros yet. Um, you know, we've seen it all season long. We saw a lot of frustration from Kyle Dubas at the trade deadline in his press conference, even swearing because, you know, they, they just kind of are exasperated with this core that they have and not being able to pull it all together. So I don't know if there's any one thing particular because, you know, in hockey, it takes a while, especially for young players, but this group should know better by now and uh, they just have to learn how to get it all together because they do have the ability to do so and play that complete 60 minutes uh dan says hey uh, guys curious to know what the records are of the teams that changed coaches since the change too soon to judge the wild i think it is too soon they've played five games they're three and two since boudreaux got bounced let's see off the top of our heads leah san jose probably got worse okay after the firing of the boar vegas got vegas better been hot yeah yeah, yeah. um Oh, and uh, let's see, other guys. Toronto I think Nashville. Been, yeah, mediocre, I would mediocre. say. Nashville, I think, got better. Not right away, but they started to get mm-hmm. better under John Hine. I, I don't know. Collectively, I, I can't really say that any of the coaching changes necessarily worked. I mean, would Vegas have been doing this anyway if they held on to Gallant? You know, it's hard to say because that was the whole point by Kelly McCrimmon is that, you know, he said, you know, I there's nothing wrong with the job he was doing at all. He just felt that there was still more in the tank for this team to give and he wasn't seeing it under Gallant, so he had to make the change. Um, so, I mean, they had the ability to do it. You know, the weakness for the Knights has always been their defense. And, you know, I wonder though under DeBoer, I do feel like maybe they're playing a little bit of a different style than um, you know, they were under Gallant. But, you know, it, it's so hard to tell with those things. It's not like a player trade where you can statistically kind of see, you know, the numbers and the ice time and, you know, the production. Uh, with a coach, it's a little different. And until you talk inside the organization, that's where you really notice the changes is when you talk to the players and other people around and they can tell you, hey, there's been a difference here. Uh, Chris says, since the disastrous Christmas road trip, the Flyers are 14-5-1 and and are beating teams in the playoffs or fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, therefore, since they have coupled points, a couple of points behind Pittsburgh and Washington, is second or first place a realistic possibility? Well, I mean, like, you know, anything is possible, as they say, right? <laughs> uh, I mean... They're, you know, they're so close to pit right now. I, I don't know if they're going to end up catching the Caps, but, you know, I've been really, I, I've been impressed by them. I saw them play the other day against Winnipeg and, you know, especially Kevin Hayes. I mean, he was a guy who was a trade deadline acquisition for the Jets last year, went over to Philly and signed the big deal. And, you know, since December 31st, his 13 goals are more than players like McKinnon and Panarin you know, and Patrick Kane to put that into context. So they've got guys right now playing really good hockey and they have a goaltender that's provided some stability. So I think for Philly, I mean, if they can continue to play the way they are, um, you know, I could definitely see them moving up the standings. But at the same time, I'm always one of those people with Philly that I could also see them falling down the standings. Yeah, they've been they've been wildly inconsistent at times. I mean, yeah, I, I think you know? I, I think um the deals they made at the deadline were pretty solid. I, I like Derek Grant. I thought that was a good move. Yeah. Um, and uh, who did they pick up from Montreal again? Why is his name escaping me? Um, well, Thompson. No. Uh, um, uh, Thompson. They picked up Thompson from Montreal. Oh, Nate Thompson. Yeah. Nate Thompson. Okay. Um, but here's the deal. They right now are a point back of Pittsburgh, but they played two more games than Pittsburgh. They've got True. the same amount of games played as Washington, and they're five back of Washington. Uh, they are an amazing home team, 22-5-4, and four, so only five regulation losses at home, and they still have 10 more games at home of the 18 they have left 
on their schedule. So yeah, I, I think I think they're a playoff team. I think I think it's probably a little bit more realistic to try to battle, see if you can't get that home ice matchup against Pittsburgh. But I think uh, I, I still put Pittsburgh and Washington above them. I think they're better teams overall. But you know, Hart gets hot. Uh, they've got talent on that team. You know, AV has been known to squeeze a lot out of teams. He went to the finals with Vancouver. Went to the finals with the Rangers. So. Rather than say, can they catch Pittsburgh or Washington, I just think overall you just got to like where they are right now, and I think they're yeah. a clear playoff team. I agree with you. I think that's the exact right attitude. Yeah, Chris, so stop uh, stop dreaming big and just li- <laughs> live with the reality that your team is a, a pretty good team. Um, let's see here. Got a bunch of things about Hank, so I'll narrow it down to uh, Timmy G, who says, where does Hank fit in the picture? Feels like I'm seeing less and less of him. Well, the unfortunate accident with Igor Shosturkin um, back on Sunday has now opened the door for Hank to actually contribute the rest of the season. Shosturkin is going to get reevaluated in a couple of weeks. So you figure what, Leah, best case scenario, maybe you tack on another week after that. So I think he could be back for you know the last uh, week or two of the season. So Hank should get a few starts here. But the off season, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, from what I understand, there were no nibbles at the deadline. Uh, there was pretty much no intention of certainly trading him once Shesterkin got hurt. Uh, I, I I don't know. I I think if I'm Henrik Lundqvist, I I have to start thinking about retirement. If no one is interested, and I can't imagine the Rangers are going to go with three goaltenders next year, and a buyout of five point five next year isn't exactly freeing up a lot. I, I really, I'm, I'm baffled to know where Hank's going to be next year. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, there's actually been, you know, I've heard actually a few conversations up here about it too, and um, it's it's going to be an. It's I'm exactly like you. I have no idea how the Rangers are going to handle this, um, but they do need to handle it, and it's going to be a tough conversation. The interesting thing to me, Don, is you know just sitting here looking at where we are in the standings. If the Rangers get into the playoffs. A player like Henrik Lundqvist could become very valuable to them because of his mm-hmm. experience there. The playoffs are a different beast, and especially for a young goaltender, if they get lit up early, their confidence can be shook. We all know about goalies. Most of them are head cases, and I say that in the most loving way as a yes. head case myself. But, you know, a, a veteran goaltender can mean a lot to you in the playoffs for many reasons, whether it's his play or being there for the other goalie. Um, You know, and I'm not trying to throw out my family, but, you know, when Ron first came into the league, he had Chico Rush in Philly with him. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing a segment, they used to call it Chico and the Kid, because it was Ron's rookie year. And that was the year that they went to the Stanley Cup final against Gretzky's Oilers, and they lost in Game 7 in 1987, which I still believe is one of the best Stanley Cup finals I've ever seen. And Ron had Chico there with him. He wasn't playing. Chico wasn't playing. But it was that tutelage and that guidance for the young goalie that meant so much. So I just wonder if Hank's relevance now might come in that fashion. So just something I've been thinking about. Yeah, and there was always that thought that maybe next year, if you traded Georgiev now, I guess during the off season, where he can be that mentor to Shesterkin all of next year too. But the problem mm-hmm. is... You know, if this team, you know, Georgiev's playing well, and 
you just don't want to make a trade for trade's sake because even if you wanted Hank as part of the team next year, it's still only one more year and then he becomes a free agent and he's going to be 38, 39 years old. You're going to have him retire and then Georgiev can go on and be a stud someplace else. Remember, this is a league now where the backup goaltender can play 25, 30 games. So you want a really good goaltender. needs to play that many games, right? Like we're seeing that with load management. If they do well in the playoffs, they need that backup to play that much. You know, if this was a year where like Brodeur or that year Grant Fuhr played 78 games, then it doesn't matter, right? Then you trade Georgiev, whatever. But now... Hey, I think they don't they don't want to give away a Georgiev who can go out there and, and win fifteen to twenty five games as a backup. I mean that that's kind of what this league is, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not it's not an easy decision in New York at all. But I'm very intrigued to see how it plays out. Uh, let's close it out with Courtney. She just wants to say hi to both of us. Sorry, I've been MIA. New promotion at work, so congratulations, Courtney. Oh, congratulations to Courtney. Uh, but I'm still keeping up. Just wanted to say hi. And last night's Rangers-Islanders game was electric, and I'm so proud of the Rangers right now. Making the playoffs would be an awesome experience for this young group. And I think they're in the best-case scenario. I don't know, Lee, if you would agree with this. That to me, it's kind of gravy. If they make the playoffs, great. It would be a great experience for the kids. But just going through these final twenty games, tr- just trying to get in. If they miss, yeah, you'd be disappointed. But there's going to be so much expectation going into next year. I, I, I think this is one of those years we can kind of just sit back, have fun. If they make it, great. If they don't, you're not going to be devastated because you just know the future's so bright. Yeah, and you're not going to be devastated because I don't think anybody expected the New York Rangers to make the playoffs this season. At least I didn't. They for sure weren't a for sure playoff team for me. Um, but, you know, I think that it would be great for the Rangers to get in. I would love to see them get in because I think anytime you can get playoff experience for any player, that it makes them better. So for the Rangers as a team, I think it makes them better next year if they can get in the playoffs, even if it's only for a round, even if it's for four games. It doesn't matter. It's the experience. It's feeling the playoffs. It's energizing people going into the offseason. The players train harder. They get that taste of it. They want to get back for it. It's great for the fans. It's great for the organization. So I'd love to see them get in. And, and But I do absolutely agree with you. I think it's just if they get in, it's just gravy. And uh, I guess before we go, uh, that was a wild game in Anaheim last night, right? 4-3 Ducks win in overtime. Give the Ducks credit. They've actually been a thorn in some team sides. But, boy, if Tennessee you paid dividends, he scores the tying goal uh, late, so Edmonton earns a point in a game that early on just looked like Edmonton had no shot. But, uh, boy, a Tennessee you the speed, I, I like that move for, for Edmonton. I really liked it as well. You know, just an absolute burner on that on the on the wing, and he's going to be great for them. And you know, and I loved what Ken Holland said after at the end of the trade deadline. He said, "You know, I came here to create a winner, and we're going to make trades to reward these guys because I feel that they've done the work this year." And that's all you can ask for your GM. And and I really found it funny, you know, when we're looking, you know, Don, at this new wave of GMs like the Kyle Dubases of the world that you know teams are looking to bring, you know, the new it boys that on trade deadline day, it was the old guys, the Lou Lamarillos of the world and the Ken Hollands of the world and the Waddells of the world that were getting it done on the phone. So I, I kind of enjoyed seeing the movers and shakers being that other generation of GMs, the ones that, you know what, they've built a lot of winning teams in their careers. And I think Edmonton's on the right track here. All right, Lee, I know you got to run. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun, went over a lot of stuff, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Don. Have a great day, and uh, you know what? I'll make sure that when I when I'm in New York, I stop by with that bottle of wine for you.
this uh, secret trip you're making now to each. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. Take care. She's the best. I love talking to her, and she just had some great perspective, especially on the Truba hit. Um, just a couple of other notes here. Tampa's lost a couple in a row here. They fall to the Leafs, uh, four to three. San Jose, uh, loses four two to the Philadelphia Flyers. How about Calgary? A nice win in Boston. You don't go into Boston too often and win. So that was a big win for the Flames as well. Washington blows a lead late, but scores in overtime to, or in a shootout to win four three over Winnipeg. Ovechkin picks up goal number 43. So some of the highlights from last night. Just three games tonight. Avalanche and the Sabres. Sabres still have a pulse, and certainly at the deadline they made some moves to kind of bolster that and see if they can't maybe make a run. I don't think so, but, you know, they're going to be in Colorado taking on the Avalanche. Oilers' Golden Knights is going to be a thriller. Uh, Edmonton did salvage a point there, and you look at that uh, Pacific division and just how wild it is right now and just how many teams are involved for a chance at going to the playoffs. Vegas is in first with 76, Vancouver with 74, Edmonton with 74, Calgary's right there with 72 points. Arizona's kind of slipped a bit. They've dropped down to 70, but that's a big uh, game tonight for Edmonton. Second of back-to-backs, a chance to tie uh, Vegas for the division. They have a game in hand on Vegas. So that was a good point for Edmonton to earn um, last night when they were down late in that contest and and to be able to squeeze out a point against Anaheim. And then uh, Pittsburgh is going to be in Los Angeles. Take on the Kings team that's actually been a little spunky as of late, but still dead last with 50 points in the Pacific Division. So the Metropolitan Division looks this way. Washington has 84 points. Pittsburgh's got 80, but Pittsburgh's got two games in hand on Washington. And then Philadelphia is still very much alive for the division with 79 points with 60 Three games played. Washington's got a home and home coming up with the Rangers. The Rangers will play a game in Montreal on Thursday. Florida, uh, Philadelphia is off until Friday when they play host to the Rangers, and then Sunday afternoon on NBC, short turnaround at noon start uh, against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. So things are getting tight, tight, tight. The wild card race. Uh, in the East is as tight as can be right now with the Islanders 77 points, Columbus with 76, but Columbus's problem, they played 65 games already, decimated by injury. So Carolina's two points back with three games in hand. The Rangers are four points back at Columbus, also with three games in hand. Florida's got 72 points. They've got two games in hand on Columbus. And heck, even Montreal technically still alive, but they've played 65 games. That puts it at a tough spot. Buffalo's only played 62, but they've only got 66 points. So they're 10 out of a playoff spot, but still three games left with Columbus. But you can't take it too crazy because I can't imagine Columbus is going to be able to hold on to this final wild card spot with all the teams that have games in hand on them. They've won just one game in their last 10. They do have five overtime and shootout losses, so they've actually been able to squeeze out seven points in the last 10 games. Not bad for only having one victory in those 10, but when you're playing without Smith, uh, excuse me, Seth Jones, you're playing without Cam Atkinson. They did get Corposalo back, but they lost Elvis. I mean, how many more injuries can you deal with? Uh, Tortorella's doing everything he can to have Columbus hang on, but those extra games they played, 65 games in all, and I believe the 65 games they played uh, is the second most in the league. Arizona's played 66 already. Arizona's only got 14 games left, and they are tied with Nashville that has climbed into the second wild card out west, but that's going to just kill Arizona. 
everybody's got games in hand on them. I mean, how's Arizona make up the ground when Nashville's got four more games left to play than Arizona does? And that, that kept, actually, I think Minnesota's got a better shot of making the playoffs than Arizona. Minnesota's got 67 points, but they've only got 62 games played. So I would suspect over that time they'll leapfrog over Arizona and Winnipeg, who's played 65 games. It could only, you know, they did fight to get that point last night in Washington, but I think Winnipeg is in a bit of trouble as well. So credit John Hines. Nashville's actually played better, and despite all of their problems, if the playoffs ended uh, started today, they would be in. All right, a lot of fun talking to you guys. Always good to talk to Leah. Be back again on Friday. That much closer to the playoffs, that much closer to the month of March. We'll have uh, the games to recap from Thursday and Wednesday. We'll also have to go over the week's top five as well. So two weeks ago I was in Columbus. Last week I was in Carolina, but this week I'll be back in New York, and we'll take your tweets and have some fun. Want to get in touch with me? The best way to always do that is Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. We'll be back with you again on Friday. This was the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct Podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York. And worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.